There is only one topic that obsesses all South Africans, every single person across our country. And that question is, what is going to happen in the 2024 elections? Is the African National Congress going to drop below 50% of the vote for the first time ever? What's going to happen with the DA and the EFF, the second and third biggest parties historically? Are they going to grow? Is either of them going to become a serious main political rival to the ANC? What about the smaller parties that have been seeing gains recently? What about Action SA, the IFP? What about this brand new organization, Rise Zanzi, that's getting people so excited? Basically, what's going to happen? Because South Africa's politics has never been this uncertain or full of completely different unknown potentials before. And every single Tom, Dick and their dog, Harry, has an opinion. You're seeing them on Twitter, slash X. You're seeing them in opinion pages of websites and print media. You're seeing them on TV. But something that I worry about is that the vast majority of these hot take speculative opinions about what's going to happen in 2024, even by very reputable political analysts, is not supported by data. It's not supported by real available information about how South Africans are voting right now, how they're really voting what is happening in by-elections in different municipalities across the country, and what we can infer or speculate from hard data about how well political parties are actually really doing. And so we've got an exclusive interview for you with one of the few South Africans who the whole nation turns to to ask, what is going on with voting? Because he is a data analyst and data expert named Wayne Sussman, who spends his entire life researching, following, and reporting on every single big or small urban or rural municipality across the whole country. So he really knows. He really knows who South Africans are voting for, which political parties have got warning signs in the last few years going into 2024, and which South African political parties have signs for hope. And so in this exclusive on the issue, and this is the issue with who is South Africa actually voting for, I ask Wayne, Does he think, based on the data, it's realistic that the ANC will drop below 50% in 2024? And which other political trends are worth watching as we steel ourselves for probably the most influential and important election since 1994? This is The Issue with Dan Corder. It is South Africa's watch party because if you're new here, remember, South Africa is a movie. Why not come watch it with us? Every single episode, and they come out once a week on a different issue in South African politics and current affairs, every issue is available on podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and also in video essay or interview form across on YouTube. Just search The Issue with Dan Corder. Please give us a follow or a subscribe or a like, whatever exists on wherever you're listening from or watching from because every single little bit of support that costs you nothing and takes less than a second makes a huge difference to helping us grow this show and keep the lights on. Right, welcome to The Issue with Who is South Africa Actually Voting For? An exclusive with Wayne Sussman. Wayne Sussman, thank you so much uh, for joining me. You are one of very few people in this country who I follow because you are one of the very few people who seems to keep an almost obsessively watchful gaze on every election, every by-election. You're one of those people who seems to know that if we really want to find out what's going on in South Africa with voting, we should just look at the data that's available. But before I ask you any questions that make me seem smarter than I am, you have to pick a beanie. So I don't know if you're a beanie kind of guy, but you've got a lot of options. You can pick a color scheme that fits. One says vote, one's got a light on it. 
Purple's good. I think the color coordination will work. Yeah. Um, my wife and partner's very fashion conscious, so I hope <laughs> she'll speak to me after this interview. And then I didn't make the fateful error of choosing the, maybe should have said I should have chosen the turquoise one, but let's go for this one. Do I wear the label facing the front or the back? So, it, I mean, it, it is a local brand, so if you want to push the bill, you can. They are great. Oh, you okay. look fabulous. Okay, great. I think okay. your wife's going to be very pleased. So, uh, Wayne Sussman, you wear lol uh, mini hats, uh, but how would you categorize the work that you, you've done it for a bunch of publications, you did it for Daily Maverick in the last election, but how would you describe what you do around South Africa's elections? Sure. So I, many years ago, used to read the way, and I have a great respect for journalists, particularly during these times, very trying times, but I'd watch the way they'd report on elections and by elections. And often they were just rehashing press statements uh, from the IEC, the Independent Electoral Commission. And I want to say, well, and you certainly saw this in 2021, that across the board, coverage of our elections has got much better. And I, I'm very happy about that. And maybe I played a very small role in that. So I would be frustrated at the way uh, journalists were covering this because you're reporting Ward 25 of the Ephraim Mukhali Municipality in Limpopo. There was no proper analysis of this. For most South Africans, bar those who live in that part of Limpopo, I imagine Ephraim Mukhali Municipality doesn't mean much. So I have a big belief in not just making the data come alive, but making that place come alive. As I say, Every corner of South Africa, even though it might be going through a very tough time, ha makes an economic contribution to this country, has a famous son or daughter, and hopefully has a beautiful landmark, which South Africans should be seeking out on road trips or experiences when they drive through those countries. And I, that's what I do. I try and make that come alive in my reporting, the place, the people, and the, and the, the data analysis. So how well do you know South Africa? I know it incredibly well. I can imagine. <laughs> we can do a quiz. <laughs> okay. But the reason why I wanted to speak with you is that uh, I think a lot of South Africans look at the level of polling of, say, the most famous, or at least, no, not the most famous, but the most mediated democracy in the world, which is the American one. And they see extraordinary numbers and projections, and they see those CNN analysts with their sparkly boards, and they go, well, we just don't feel like we know that much about what's going on with South African voters. And so I think that's become a particular paranoia in South Africa in the last year because this is the first one in modern history. In fact, it's the first one that the ANC has ever competed in where they may not win a 50% majority. But all that we have are opinionista politicos speculating about what they think might happen, but so little data. And I, and I, I wonder if you are sensing a greater hunger for information than before in the kind of like what is going on across South Africa's elections. 100%. And I think I always say it has to add up to 100. Uh, we, our country is not just made up um, of people in suburbs, of people in Gauteng. Our country is made up of old voters, young voters, people in rural areas, people in urban areas, people who live in nice houses, people who live in informal settlements. Um, and then you also uh, people who... Uh, who speak many different languages, etc. The Kosa people, Zulu people, the Afrikaans people, etc. And they make up our political system. And it's important to understand the trends which are developing um, in by-elections, in the 2021 local government elections, what we saw emerge in the 2019 elections, and then also look at the opinion polls. It seems to me 
that on this road to the 2024 election that we are going to be seeing more opinion polls. But I, I, it's very, very important for me, and one of the things I'm doing now is a comprehensive study of all the by-elections which have taken place since 2021 and see what are the trends which are developing. It's important to have opinionists. It's important to read the opinion pages, whether it's on X or TikTok, which uh, maybe you'll educate me on, Dan, <laughs> but also the business then publications like the Daily Maverick and other publications. But ultimately, the data for me is more insightful often um, because it does pick up on trends developing in our politics. So let's start somewhere. Uh, the latest uh, very, I, I guess, widely covered opinion poll was on Ipsos. And the reason why it got so much coverage is because it projected that based on different levels of turnout, and I want to speak to you about that too, because I think a lot of people don't have a sense of what turnout means for elections, but it speculated that the ANC may come in across the country at below 50%. But there was a very misleading headline or two that caused some confusion, which said that the ANC amongst all eligible voters is only at uh, 33% if all eligible voters were to vote, but very rarely in any democracy do more than 50 or 60% of eligible voters actually vote. And in South Africa, a, a much smaller than 100% percentage of eligible voters are registered to vote, which is what the IEC is trying to get people to do at the moment. So with all of the trends that you've been seeing in the last few years, do you foresee the ANC struggling to make a majority in 2024? So let's do the easy part. That 33% is totally bogus. There's no scenario where the ANC is going to fall to 33% last year. Is there a scenario, now to your, the harder part of your question, is there a scenario of the ANC falling short of 50%? Just to remind voters that the ANC got 57 and a half, and I always round up from 0.5 upwards, so let's say 57 and 58% in the last election. In order for them to fall below 50%, they would need to fall by about, I think it's 14.5%, okay? So that would take them to proportionally. Um, that's a major slide. They fell from 62 to 57.5 in the last election. For them to fall from 57.5 to under 50 would be a very poor achievement by the ANC. It's hundreds of thousands of people not voting for them again. Correct. And there, there's an important thing, because this is a question I get asked a lot about the ANC and the DA. It's one thing for ANC voters to decide not to vote for that party. That's the first decision. I'm a lifelong ANC voter. I'm a lifelong IFP voter. I'm a lifelong DA voter. Might be a young voter. I'm a lifelong EFF voter. But I'm not happy with them, and therefore I'm not voting for them. The second million-dollar question is, would they make the even tougher decision and transfer their vote to another party? For sure. And that remains to be seen. So back to the – I think there is a scenario of the ANC falling under 50%. What makes it less likely – and I'll tell you where. Okay, let's – Gauteng and KwaZulu-Natal. Why are those two provinces important? Because these are where most of the voters are in South Africa. In the latest census in 2022, the province which had the third most amount of voters eclipsing the great province of the Eastern Cape was the Western Cape. We know that that's been a sorry story for the ANC over the last few years. So if you have the ANC treading water now in Gauteng, the province you and I currently sit in, and in KwaZulu-Natal, which is what Jacob Zuma's great gift to the ANC, it turned it into an, um, an uh, overwhelming majority for the ANC. From IFP before, yeah. That's correct. Then the ANC starts to worry. But what's the good news for the ANC? Dan, that's what I always try to do my reporting. I try to find 
stories you should worry about and stories you should be hopeful about. The Eastern Cape in Limpopo. Why is this important? Because this is where the fourth and fifth most amount of South Africans live. And generally, certainly in the 2019 election, in the 2021 election, and in most, not all, but in most of the by-elections since then, ANC support is rock solid in these two provinces, and that's the ANC's path to 50% and above. Okay. So everybody in South Africa talks about um, election or like election season politicians where suddenly they're trying to fix ESCOM, suddenly Shoshaloza male is running from Johannesburg to Cape Town again, suddenly, uh, you know, ANC people are on the street trying to fill in potholes. From your perspective, what are the major ticket issues that are infuriating even ANC-supporting South Africans that w could potentially decide whether or not they do bother to go and vote for the ANC again in 2024. I guess load shedding is an obvious one. If you can keep the lights on for even a month before the elections, I think a lot of South Africans, whether you vote for the ANC or not, will feel pretty good about that. So if you're dealing with infuriating, and it's your interview, not mine, I hope you also deal with the enthusing part as well. But let's deal with infuriating. I think there are a lot of issues. One of them is load shedding and infrastructure. Um, that one of the reasons why we're seeing such low turnouts in elections. Remember, this is a very important point to make. 2019, the lowest ever turnout in a national election by South Africans. 2021 was devastating, Dan. The lowest ever turnout in a national election, not just a local government election, the lowest turnout across the board. This shows that South Africans are turning off elections and politics, that they are no longer seeing a power, um, they're no longer seeing a power in the what effect their vote can have on election day. That worries me greatly. So what are the issues which might drive South Africans to the poll to vote out incumbents, whether it's the DA in the Western Cape or the ANC in eight other provinces and nationally? I think it's load shedding, infrastructure. I think for the first time in a democratic election, an issue like crime might be a serious issue because this isn't, remember the Democratic Party, Tony Leon ran very strongly on an anti-crime ticket in 99. It helped them somewhat, but I think this is an election where crime for across the board could affect South Africans. And then the collapsing infrastructure and lack of services. These are the things which I think are angering South Africans right now. But I also think the ANC have tricks up their sleeve as well. Yeah, so that's exactly what I wanted to ask about because I think one of the most common uh, questions that end up on my videos and end up in political discussions is how do the ANC keep winning? And I think that there's this weird tone of voice about like stupid or ignorant people swallowing like idiocy year after year and being simple-minded, and which I just don't believe to be true. I think the people vote in their own interest based on what they uh, on what are the best available options presented towards them. So from all of the elections, particularly in the last few years with local government elections where the ANC has done better and worse in different municipalities, what do you reckon is the reason why people still do vote for the ANC, even if it has been a, play, a, a, a party of disappointment for a lot of South Africans? Before I answer the question, you touched on something very important there. Every single voter counts, whether you live in the suburb in a beautiful home or you live in a rural area in an informal settlement which hasn't seen services, your vote is as important. And when I do my analysis, I have to take every single voter importantly. They have agency and they have an impact on the outcome of this election. And I think here, to answer your question, social grants, number one. The ANC is trusted more than any other political party on social grants. Even though the execution of social grants isn't always perfect. 
voters across the board, particularly in rural areas, trust the ANC more than the EFF or any other political party. I think we are going to see, and I might, uh, like uh, the Secretary General of the ANC, eat some humble pie, but I think the calculus of the ANC is that um, the energy challenges in this country will be in a better place by, we don't know when the election will be, but by May next year, and the ANC will say, look, we are turning the corner, we are winning the war against load shedding. I think those are two things. I think the ANC might also look at foreign policy as something to campaign on, but foreign policy hasn't been a big, um, it's a big factor in elections across the board, globally and in South Africa, across the board. But I think particularly social grants. Just one interesting factoid, and that's why, as I said to you, that I love exploring the nooks and crannies of this country. Guiani in Limpopo in 1999, they were stuck without water for one month uh, before the elections. And I focus very strongly on Guiani. Sure, the ANC's vote went down. It went down from 75%. I know you're doing the interview, but any idea what their vote percentage went down to? Uh, 58. 74%. Oh, and that's 1%. 1%. Wow, no water for a month. No water for a month. Wow. Large shots of Guiani. And that's why I think people also have to... Uh, differentiate between ANC, the governing party, and ANC, the political party. In many parts of this country, the ANC's political party machinery is a, a, it's, it's something to be impressed of. Not in the whole country. We know that the ANC have many challenges, but in places like Guiani, that party machine is untouchable. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that I've spoken about with a bunch of political leaders who started new political parties about like, the scale of the apparatus that is required from youth leagues to women's leagues to civic organizations to trade unions and the ANCs is decades and decades older than any other political parties, but also battle hardened by trying to survive apartheid against extreme persecution to try and destroy it. So I recognize that. But I'm really interested by what you said about the difference between somebody who chooses not to vote for their favorite party and one who chooses not to vote for that party and then to vote for a different one. Because... Uh, when when we think about how low the voter turnout has been in 2019-2021 and then add on the fact that extraordinary Zuma relief slash Ramaphoria caused a lot of people to vote in 2019 who wouldn't otherwise have voted potentially. Um, I often come to the conclusion, and I think a lot of South Africans do, because the most common refrain is, who the hell are we going to vote for? Uh, that like the ANC, if this was a 100-meter race in a lot of ways has given the other political parties a 30 or 40 meter head start. And yet there seems to be a fundamental failing of any other political party to inspire anybody to switch to them. Like it's quite extraordinary that a political party could fail in so many ways, but no other political party could rise to give it a genuine uh, contestation. Do you think that South Africans are just like uninspired by the political options they have on the table? Is that part of the problem? Yeah, look, I think... Um, and I don't want to go too much down the sports analogy, but very soon after apartheid ended, we had the world's best sports teams, the world's best musicians come here. And South Africans were accustomed to seeing the best and expecting the best. Yeah, and I want to translate to politics. Of course, no politician or political party is perfect in South Africa or around the world. But in the electoral, when we go to the supermarket, we have to choose a can of baked beans ultimately. And I think that's the same in the electoral supermarket. There's no perfect party or perfect politician, but you have to make a choice. And it matters. Voting still matters. Uh, uh, participating in an election matters. And 
and but on a negative point, I think I always look at the bench of the ANC 1994 across the board. These were gr- and by the way, also in Parliament because uh, Parliament in 1990 there were a lot of there were about. Um, Many of the South Africans voted for people who, for people to represent them in Parliament who weren't from the ANC. The quality of MP in 1994 was very high. With respect to those who might be uh, watching or listening in here, there are some good MPs in our current Parliament. But if you compare that class of 1994 to the class of today, I think um, it's concerning, and therefore I understand the frustrations of South Africans that the best and the brightest are often not choosing politics or parliament as their vehicle to effect change. I mean, Imtia Suleiman is the great example with Gift of the Givers, literally could not get enough political power. Now it's created this extraordinary charity funding arm. Why do you think that so many bright young South Africans are not going into politics? I think that... Look, you can get a great middle-class salary by being an MP, but I don't think it's the most inspiring work. Um, maybe that'll change if we had a coalition government or something like that. But so much of the power is in the NEC of the ANC or the executive of the ANC. Also, yes, it's a good salary, but maybe, and this is, again, we're going off on a tangent here, but imagine we had a smaller parliament where competition was greater and you could be paid more. The quality of legislation might be better, but I think for a variety of reasons, it just doesn't seem appetizing. Okay. When you see a MP sleeping um, in those coveted halls of parliament. Playing Candy Crush. Yeah. Playing Candy Crush. <laughs> is that your dream in life? I so think many true. South Africans will say not. Okay. So Wayne, I'd love to ask you about local government because you are one of the very few people who covers local government elections and you covered by-elections last week, for example, and I'm always on your Twitter account or I know we're, we're adults. We'll keep calling it Twitter. Um, but what I wanted to ask about was trends that you and others like you have seen since the 2021 elections. What we know about the 2021 elections is it was a historic downfall for the ANC. They, they still rule in most of South Africa, but they had an extremely poor election performance. It was also a rare moment of real flux and change in d- different parts of South Africa. So you talk about KwaZulu-Natal being so important. The IFP did extremely well. Um, and given the kind of, as you described earlier, the way that Jacob Zuma was able to convert so many IFP Zulu voters into ANC voters uh, while he was in power in the ANC, and now the fact that that's not happening anymore seems extremely significant for the ANC. Um, but also uh, the 2021 elections had some newcomers in them, particularly Action SA, who had almost, a, I would comfortably speculate, like a record-breaking local government debut in Gauteng. Um, but since 2021, with a variety of local government elections and by-elections, what trends have you seen across South Africa? And, and I would love if there are particular provinces that you want to focus on for periods of time, but also national trends. Dan, the beauty of eight questions in one is I can choose to ignore the hard ones. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so, so major trends, and I'm glad you picked on Action SA because they defied a trend. Okay, what we've seen in the 2019 and 2021 elections was South Africans saying the ANC of 1994, the DA of 2016, i.e., let's call it for the sake of this call, the a rainbow nation idea of politicians. Think of the ANC's bench in 1994. Think of who the DA put up as their candidates in 2016. You saw South Africans, in a way, start rejecting that, saying we'd rather vote for those who speak like us, who might look like us, who know the issues which are caught to our heart. 
Freedom Front, Patriotic Alliance, IFP. The sure. IFP speaks for the primarily for Zulu South Africans, the Freedom Front for white Afrikaans South Africans, the Patriotic Alliance, even though they're um, look, in broadening their base, coloured South Africans. You saw South Africans transfer their votes there. Those parties emerged. And also, by the way, so, so, local organisations yes. like local parties. So South Africans were retreating inwards. This we saw in 2021, and we started seeing that in 2019. With Action SA, this was fascinating. One thing which is vital, which I tell every political party who wants my opinion, is focus is important. And it mustn't be forgotten that they only contested six municipalities, which I think was a masterstroke, which is three municipalities in KwaZulu-Natal, but crucially the three metros in Gauteng. And what did Action SA do? Because they were able to appeal to white voters in four ways and black voters in the townships of so in, in Soweto Township. Uh, they didn't win wards there, but they picked up significant um, they picked up significant nodes of support in those areas and they showed some momentum. So these are some of the trends we saw in 2021. Now and that creates the national narrative of them being a party to watch, which helps them then spread the word across the rest of the country. Correct. But going from six municipalities to nation running nationwide, and maybe we're going to come back to that, and you touched on that earlier about that ANC machine, is harder. That's why you give credit to a party like the ANC, the DA, and the EFF, who've, who've done these rodeos before, who know what it's like on election day. As I said, it's like running McDonald's globally on one day when you run an election, a national election. You need polling agents. You need to feed those polling agents. You need people ticking your name off at the desk. You need people ferrying you to the poll. You need people keeping up the charisma and the spirit around the poll. Very, very hard. And that's why you have to always give credit to the larger parties because they've done this rodeo before. But what are the trends, you just asked, the key trends we've seen since 2021? Off the top of my head, five trends. The ANC have challenges with black voters in Gauteng province. The ANC changed premiers midstream, bringing in Panyaza Lesufi. Now, I know no politicians any everyone's cup of tea, but Panyaza Lesufi is someone who's incredibly media savvy, who's someone who's trying to create seismic change and shift in Gauteng province from the, um, from the cr cr crime wardens, etc., uh, change in schools, etc. The ANC is saying we need our best shot, and they brought Lesufi in. When I look at by-elections, Dan, I don't just look at the wards, I look at the voting districts. So we've had recent by-elections in DA areas which have pockets of black voters. And those trends are not good for the ANC. And the trends in places like Lufering Township, um, uh, on the edge of Soweto, other parts of Gauteng, the ANC are struggling amongst black voters. That's the first trend. The second trend we're seeing... But, but that's limited to Gauteng. That's, but remember, Gauteng is where most of the voters are of in course, South Africa. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Correct. KwaZulu-Natal. Yes, the IFP surging KwaZulu-Natal. But whose lunch are they stealing on the playground more? They're stealing some ANC lunch, but they're stealing a lot of EFF lunch. How did the EFF surge in the 2019 elections? And how did they grow modestly in the 2021 elections? Was because of KwaZulu Natal. If I'm the, and I'm, as I said, I give, I, I hand out um, a negative report and I bring in positive reports as well, um, which I'm going to come to just now for the EFF. The EFF have deep trouble in KwaZulu Natal right now. 
Now, I'm hearing that some people are saying the local leadership's unpopular, but Malema is still popular. We, I just saw now that the EFF are launching that campaign at Moses Mabita Stadium. That's going to challenge my narrative that the EFF's in trouble in KwaZulu-Natal. But if the IFP are hurting the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal, but especially hurting the EFF, that's going to make it very, very interesting with, a moon, with the multi-party chart of the IFP, the DA, and Action SA in KwaZulu-Natal versus the ANC and others. Trend number two. Trend number three is that by and large, and my uh, assumptions have been challenged in the last few weeks because of interesting by-election results, but as I said earlier, the ANC is rock solid in Eastern Cape and Limpopo. This is important. Dan, here's my useless fact for the day, which I, <laughs> which I love parading. Go for it. You dream and think of Mangawung Bloemfontein a lot, Dan. You can admit it, okay? <laughs> Let me give you a fact. When last did you think of, we might, I know it's a key part of our soccer culture in South Africa, Toyandu, Tulumela Municipality yeah. in Limpopo. Sure, much less. Okay. Tulumela Municipality, Toyandu in Limpopo. The ANC got 12,000 votes less than the entirety of the Mangaung Metro. So when we look at South Africa, we often look at it through an urban metro lens, through our major cities. I've just told you about a municipality in Limpopo where the ANC almost matched its vote share in the whole of Mangaung Metro. That's a remarkable statistic. There are still many voters in rural parts of Eastern Cape and rural parts of Limpopo who the ANC believes it will be able to get back. That's the ANC's good, good news story. Assumption number um, four, okay, the DA have a real tough time with Gayton McKenzie in the Patriotic Alliance right now. They have been doing very well in by-elections in colored areas, not just the Patriotic Alliance, Gayton McKenzie Patriotic Alliance, not just in the southern part of Gauteng, but you're seeing it increasing the Western Cape and the Northern Cape and recently in uh, a small colored community in Bloemfontein as well. That's interesting. So we hear the story that the DA are secure in the Western Cape. The thing which keeps the DA up the most at night in the Western Cape today is the Patriotic Alliance. The challenge for the Patriotic Alliance is going to be, can we do what we do on a by-election day on a national election day, i.e., that's going to be more challenging. And scenario number five, and this is interesting, Dan, which I've picked up. People don't know this, but the EFF went backwards in Rustenburg and Polokwane in 2021. Why is this important? When we think of the origin story of the EFF, Julius Malemus from Polokwane, Julius and Marikana. Marikana was very important in the formative years of the EFF. And I've just told you bad news about the EFF and Kuzinatel. The good news for the EFF is that in, for some reason in small towns in South Africa, particularly in the northern parts of South Africa, they're doing very well. Okay. The coal mining town of Brayton in Pumalanga, Schmitzdruff in the northern Cape, Mahikeng in the northwest, uh, Vormranstadt, the townships near there in the northwest. This is interesting. Are the EFF going to – because that's bad for the ANC. Those small towns are where they've done very, very well. But those are the five things – you asked me a long question, and I've punished you by giving you the longest answer you've ever heard. I mean, that was exactly what I wanted. So I don't feel punched. I feel like I got a punished. birthday present. <laughs> okay, punished. Okay, so then the next key question is, but local government elections are often very different to national elections for a bunch of reasons. The first one is that national elections often have a much higher turnout uh, because it's matters of the president to national importance. The second reason is that very, very often voting for a president musters a lot of people because a president is the 
I mean, the most popular person in the country, even in representative democracy, that's the case now, because Ramaphosa consistently outpolls not only his own party, but any other politician in South Africa. It doesn't mean that he gets high ratings, but it means that he is certainly the mo- the person who, for the biggest chunk of South Africans, they are most willing to elect. And so I know that this is a tough question, but how much can we infer from 2021's local elections for 2024's national elections? Great question. So before 2019, you saw the Freedom Front start doing well in by-elections. I think it was Kreersdorp, Mahali City, Devilsdorp country there. I think think our viewers and listeners will be able to relate to that. And that that trend played out, out in the elections. So we have seen, uh, and I can give you other examples, um, that by-elections and local government elections are, can produce a pattern. The one thing we have to be very careful about, uh, one is money. So in by-elections, I can't go to every by-election in the country. Um, I, I am... We all human after all. Yeah, yeah, um, we held back by space and time. We held back by space and time. Sadly, I'd love to do it. I'd love to be in every nook and cranny of South Africa. It's very hard to tell you who is spending more, mo- the most money on an election day. Who is handing out the most meals on election day, handing out T-shirts, etc. I don't know that data, okay, because that's not revealed to us. The other thing is local candidates. I know that one of the reasons why the EFF won a by-election Mahi Keng, the provincial capital of the Northwest in the village of Lomanyang, is that the ANC put up a very poor, unpopular candidate. I know the EFF have won some remarkable by-elections because they've fielded remarkable candidates, people who are loved in those communities. So will those, those trends are less likely to hold in a national election because, again, people are voting for Malema, people are voting for Ramaphosa. But just something interesting you touched on. Leadership matters. You spoke about Ramaphoria earlier. We know if we drill down, that's why I always drill down in the data. This was a factor in Santon in 2019 that you saw people splitting their vote for Ramaphosa and for the DA and the provincial ballot. Okay. The challenge is Ramaphosa, even though he's the most popular person in the ANC and remains the most popular person in the ANC, he's not as popular as he was five years ago. We know that John Sternhazen isn't as popular um, as Musi Maimani was in the 2016 election and Helen Zilla was in the 2014 election. We know that this is the third. Julius Malema is, is a, comes across as a spring chicken, is a spring chicken. He's young, but he, Dan, he has another useless fact for the day. Um, is the third longest lasting leader of a current party in parliament after Kenneth Mesher's African Christian Democratic Party in Bantu Olomisa's United Democratic Movement. He isn't as, he's not this novel new candidate. Velenkosi Chlabisa from the IFP is going to battle to um, imprint his hold on the Encarta Freedom Party like uh, Mangasutu Butelezi did. So all leaders of political power, Herman Mashaba was the flavor of the month, um, like the green of the studio in 2021. <laughs> Will you be the flavor of the month in 2024? To be clear, this isn't an action essay agendered podcast. This is just a green room. Okay, cool. Correct. <laughs> we are in Melville, not in four ways. Okay. <laughs> But that's super, super interesting. And I mean, in some ways, it makes me feel more anxious about the uncertainty, but in other ways, extremely excited because South Africa, 
I mean, this isn't a novel thought, but has had such a struggle with diversification of political options, not just of leaders, but of ideologies for many, many years. I think the fact that the the fact that the ANC has represented both Kusatu and the South African Communist Party since that first tripartite alliance formation. I think the fact that for a long time, the DA's policies were very similar to the ANC's, but just with like a pinky promise that we'll just be less corrupt and do it better. And now there's a real stratus, stratification of ideas where the DA is saying, OK, but we're centrist. Action is saying, saying, okay, but we are far further towards at least the economic right. Um, whereas the, uh, and the, then there's other smaller groups like Rise and Zanzi and the rest who are trying to form their own more leftist position. Uh, my question for you is, because I know that um, it is quite rare for such established dominant democracies to devolve into contestations of much smaller parties fighting amongst themselves. Most democracies, once they have dominant parties, are settled because those parties are so financially dominant and entrenched that the Republicans or the Democrats in England or the, uh, sorry, America or the Tories and the, the Labour uh, Labor and sometimes the Lib Dems, they're so set. Why do you think that we've had this devolution to like many smaller parties with big potential? So we're a multi-party system, um, and that's different to the United Kingdom, where it's a well, where it's a constituency system. So it's much harder to win a seat. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I don't know if we'll touch on populism, but someone like Nigel Farage, I think, is currently on Get I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. He is um, in the forest. So he's a far-right politician, but I think in South Africa, I mean, in our system, we'd have had so many MP. If if they have that system in the UK, they'd have so many MPs. Sure. So that system punishes someone like him who does very well in elections. Yes. And then you have the Liberal Democrats who always underperform as well. So why I think we um, devolved or, or gone to the situation is there's a very low barrier to entry. Um, Al Jamaa got a seat in Parliament with 0.18% of the vote uh, in 20. 20, uh, in 2019, they were the last party to get a seat. 40,000 votes and two mayors. Cor- correct. <laughs> done, so they know how to extract maximum benefit. Uh, they, they should do, be doing uh, tutorials for all aspirant political parties. <laughs> and we've also seen now, I'm very glad you touched on that point, we have the remarkable situation where the mayor of Ekruleni is from the African Independent Congress, where the mayor of Mohali City, Devilsdorp country again, Devilsdorp's getting a lot of plugs today, <laughs> is from the African Transformation Movement, one seat. The mayor of um, Nelson Mandela Bay in the Eastern Cape is from the Northern Alliance, like three seats. So you see this and you're saying, why should I join the back of the queue of the ANC, the DA and the EFF? Why do I need to go to branch yeah. meetings? Yeah. Let me start my own party and maybe... Maybe I'll, I'll be, be the, the deputy president. Yeah, I'll be the exactly. chosen one. Sure. But it's interesting what you say, um, because if that ballot paper is too long, I spoke about the electoral supermarket earlier, and I do this when I go shop. I always try to f- buy the cheapest canned tomatoes from Italy. <laughs> if it gets too confusing, I just revert to the one I know. That might help the ANC, the DA, and the EFF in this election. Too many options. Although it is interesting and something that I still can't really believe is legal, that South Africa has not a unique problem in the whole world, but the fact that so many people vote for the wrong party by accident because political parties create, you know, party party names with similar acronyms and similar logos and similar color schemes, and then the ballot sheet can get confusing. Let's drill drill down deep with this one. There's a party called the African Independent Congress. And again, 
no one here is saying that voters make, we don't know if voters make mistake, Dan, but let's drill down on the AIC. This is a fascinating party. We, uh, anti-legal, anti-migrant positions, xenophobic positions seem to be something which will play in our next elections. The original, the OGs of xenophobia of the African Independent Congress is a small party in the Eastern Cape who've been a feature of our politics now, I think, for two elections. But what was their main original election issue? They, by the way, have the mayor of Ekruleni. They're from Matatiel in the Eastern Cape. I don't think many people from Matatiel moved to Ekruleni to the East Rand. <laughs> to vote for them. Well, their main issue was that they wanted Matatiel to be incorporated into KwaZulu-Natal. They wanted us to leave the Eastern Cape. Many Zulu speakers there. Now, I've tracked the election results in Matatiel over the years, and the AIC goes down, but they pick up small smatterings of votes. So maybe people from Matatiel are moving to the north of the country. I don't know that question, but I look at that and it is weird. Maybe some voters are making mistakes. But what we saw in the last election that the AIC was no longer above or below the ANC, and that yet they still got two two seats in Parliament. I mm. think yes, mm. it's very it's very 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 odd. And you see new names like ACC names which try and mimic the EFF now and the DA. It is odd. Similar yes. color schemes in particular and logos and all the rest, which is extremely interesting. So I want to talk about KwaZulu-Natal because I just feel like KwaZulu-Natal is way more important than the national media gives it print space for, or at least video space. So we've spoken about it at length already, uh, but the dominant trends being that the ANC picked up an extraordinary groundswell of Zulu voters off the IFP during Jacob Zuma's presidency. And there's been a lot of speculation recently about Ramaphosa's very soft and gentle treatment of Zuma and his camp in general is to try and keep them on side. There was a lot of um, uh, dirt throwing after 2021 when the ANC performed worse in KwaZulu-Natal because um, the radical economic transformation faction accused, accused Ramaphosa and his team of screwing up the campaigning. And uh, acolytes of Ramaphosa's team said, no, it was you guys who didn't campaign as you should as rank and file ANC members in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, then to add to that mix is what you've already spoken about with the with the IFP picking up EFF votes in KwaZulu-Natal and quite extraordinarily last night or yesterday, Julius Malema had some very, very inflammatory things to say about the IFP directly. He said his one quote was that every single IFP leader is corrupt and the only way you get a job in an IFP municipality is through sex for work. Like he really went in on them and then charged them with being a fake big party who couldn't fill up a big stadium like the EFF did. So that fight is coming together. But interestingly, also to add to that mix is somebody who I interviewed last week, which is Chris Pappas, who is the premier candidate for the Democratic Alliance, the only DA ruling mayor in KwaZulu-Natal, in Umgeni municipality in the Midlands. And although he's not he's not saying at all that they're going to win 50%, he does seem to believe that an IFP DA combo can pick up as many votes as an ANC-EFF combo, uh, combo in KwaZulu-Natal. What does the data suggest to you? Yeah, so when we look at KwaZulu-Natal, broadly speaking, there are four areas of KwaZulu-Natal. There is the north northern part of KwaZulu-Natal, which is traditional IFP strongholds, place like Ulundi, etc., Nongoma. Um, and... By the way, the IFP made big inroads in large towns like Richards Bay and Newcastle in the last election, which was a great result for them because it changes this narrative of them just being a rural party. Those are key parts of the economy. 
Then we move to the Ngungluvu district, which is the Natal Midlands district, which is a, traditionally the ANC has done very well. That includes the provincial capital, Peter Maritzburg. Then we move to the southern part of KwaZulu-Natal. Now, this was Jacob Zuma's great gift, that area of KwaZulu-Natal, which nears the Eastern Cape. Sure. Okay. Zuma turned that into an it was a landslide area for the ANC. Places like Port Shepston and Mzumkulu, particularly the Harigwala district. And then, of course, the big daddy of them all, the big prize of them all, Durban, uh, Etiquani Municipality. So we have seen the IFP win a lot of awards in the northern part. They've shocked the ANC in Sweetwaters in Peter Maritzburg. They've won a ward off the local party in a traditional ANC stronghold in the south. And they have won a ward in Etiquani. That's a great story because the IFP's growth isn't just in one particular area. Sure. Can they keep that momentum going? Can they play that out in highly densified townships on election day? That remains to be seen. With regards to Chris Pappas, the, remember the DA does have quite a lot of minority voters, and by that I mean white and Indian voters. It's the largest Indian population in, in South Africa. I think this is an area, it's the one province where I've said for the last, uh, since 2021, where I think the DA can grow. Um, that I think Indian voters, for a variety of reasons, um, f feel more, uh, are easier. Remember, there are a lot of local Indian parties like the Minority Front. I think the DA, with the right candidate, folks on the right issues, can do well there. And I think Papas can energize minority voters and possibly some black, young black urban voters as well. Don't, as I said earlier, remember Malema, there might be a Malema effect that those who are turning on the EFF in by-elections might come back to the EFF in elections. And remember now, what's the million dollar question because I'm going to tell is what's Jacob Zuma going to do? Will he endorse the ANC? If he does endorse them, will it be early on? Will he actively campaign for them? Um, or will he do what Thabo Mbeki did in, if I think it was 2021 or 2016, where it took a very long time to endorse them. And in the, in, in, in the end, the endorsement was like a backhanded compliment. So because he still looms large. What we haven't covered here is, and this is an interesting thing for me, if the ANC falls below 50% nationally, now folks couldn't tell, 50% cause in the tell, they would first want to work with other parties before the EFF. Let me give an example, the National Freedom Party. This is the IFP breakaway, the ones with the orange logo. Yes. Um, they have, they are currently not allowed to contest by-elections and the elections because they have a leadership squabble. The Bantu Boto Bato Congress, this is formed by Jacob Zuma strongman uh, supporter PG Mavundla in Greytown. They also having major skirmishes right now. A lot of ANC-friendly parties in KwaZulu-Natal are fighting amongst each other. The ANC wants those parties to kiss and make up internally because it would much rather work with those parties in the EFF. So I do think there's a lot. We're going to, have, by the way, a lot of by-elections between now and the end of the year in KwaZulu-Natal. We're going to look at ANC strongholds. It's a fascinating province to watch for those variety of reasons: geography, race, rural, urban trends, national versus local, it's going to be fascinating. Epic. And then uh, I do want to talk about Gates and McKenzie and the Patriotic Alliance. Um, he has 
quite extraordinarily turned from being one of South Africa's most famous convicted criminal gangsters into somebody who started a political party that actually picked up a few Karoo municipalities, if I remember correctly. He was the mayor of Beaufort West for a while. It, it, it was both Beaufort West. The district, yes. Sorry, yes. And um, that's like... the. There's certainly been twisted media reports about how well he did there or how not well he did there, depending on who you ask in Beaufort West. But it's become a success story. And now the PA has even done well in Gauteng, which has got it nationwide media attention. The way that South African media generally works is very Gauteng-centric. And he's now incredibly high profile. And as you said, causing the Democratic Alliance and the good party amongst other sleepless nights because he is compelling many, many colored voters across South Africa. Given that the, uh, the colored vote is an extremely significant minority vote because it influences certain provinces in very large ways, but also because it's a very sizable population. What, from your, the data that you've seen, what do you think the PA could do next year? Let's just first unpack Gaten McKenzie. Uh, there was a great, this wasn't my writing. Uh, no, it was, I think it was my idea. Um, <laughs> it was in 2021. It. When you go when you went to an Innerdale rally, it felt like a Republican Party rally in America in the deep south in Mississippi. Huh. You're getting gospel. Uh, you, PA? The Patriotic Alliance. Yeah. You're getting a pastor to come read from the read the gospel. You're getting spinning cars. Think of NASCAR. You're getting um, an in, uh, you're getting an inspirational life story of someone who was a bank robber who's not just become a good politician and a good business person, but also produced one of South Africa's most read books. Who's this um, very talented public orator? And people in the suburbs or people who write in the opinion page of those newspapers can frown upon the fact that he went to jail. But I think many South Africans can also relate to the story. It is an inspiring story that he turned his life around. So he's a compelling orator. He, he calls a spade a spade. And I think it's one of the reasons why he's done well. And by the way, um, I don't think they currently have the mayor, but in Ditsabotla municipality, which is South Africa's most beleaguered municipality, that's not a good uh, award to win, Dan. But uh, that whole council was dissolved. That's Luchtenberg in the northwest, Kalini also. After the election, the ANC did very poorly. The, they had a rerun of the elections, and a patriotic alliance actually emerged with the mayor. But I don't think they're the mayor. And she was a black lady who, by the way, came from the ANC before. So they are trying to, Kenny Kunene, they are trying to diversify their leadership. The question for the PA is, can you replicate what you did in 2021 on a national scale? Can you... You're very focused on the Karoo and Gauteng and parts of the Northern Cape. Can you focus on the whole Western Cape? Can you focus nationally? That's going to be the challenge. They're raising good money now. Um, I think Gaten is going to be a factor. I think um, he, he has a real shot at finishing like seventh or sixth in the election next year. So I really have enjoyed this a lot and I just noticed the time. I'm very sorry. Uh, but that means I've, I will allow myself one more question out of selfishness uh, and in disrespect of your schedule. But no, we can go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely loving this conversation. So who do you think of everybody you've spoken about or someone we haven't spoken about, South Africa should watch as a surprise package for 2024. But I want to be clear about something. 
When I mean surprise package, I mean an expectation exceeder, not just a new person doing well. Because sure, we can look at like the people who might come out of nowhere and do well, but I'm when I think of surprise package or dark horse, I think about someone or a group, a party, it could even be the ANC that's expected to do so well, but you actually think according to the data and what you've seen might far exceed our expectations. We, we, we've spoken about them. The IFP, I think, is a party which is going to do better than a lot of these new parties um, are going to do um, because one they established they experienced and they've just got a track record and focus again if you're a new political party and you love Dan Quarter show <laughs> focus 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 it's very very hard to focus on every nook and cranny of this country the IFP will be focused in the elections um, so I think they're going to be a party which we're not speaking enough about and they're going to exceed expectations. Well, then I'm going to cheekily ask one more question, which is tell me about their new leader uh, who's now going to try and fill arguably the biggest shoes since Nelson Mandela of Butelezi. Um, I remember being on a television show with the senior leader of the IFP and I said I made the statement saying it's quite remarkable this was when uh, the founder, the president emeritus, was still alive. It's quite remarkable that everyone predicted the IFP would be imploded. And I want to give a credit to Velen Corsini Chlabisa that he, he uh, led the party, even though Bouthodez is facing the ballot, into the 2021 elections. They did admirably well, and they've done exceedingly well since um, the 2021 local government elections. And this IFP, senior person, the IFP, was very very upset with me, saying, right. no, Butelezi is still in control of the party. So I think Chlabisa has to tread very carefully uh, because the party believes and the party still bestows a lot of honor towards um, the late uh, President Emeritus Butelezi. Um, but look, he's got a story to tell. He was the mayor of Chlabisa municipality. He's a teacher. Um, I think he's someone... Who, 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 who is a good original, uh, um, uh, an original communicator. And I think South Africans, if I was advising the IFP, I think they should let more South Africans meet this guy. Hmm. I think that he is someone who can also help the IFP expand into new markets in KwaZulu-Natal. Sure. Well, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So... That's the issue with who South Africans are actually really voting for right now. Thank you so much to Wayne Sisman for that extended and really, really fascinating conversation where he had so much useful knowledge and trends to share with us and to help us understand from his perspective, based on the information that he has seen, what we should be looking out for as we go into 2024. And this is the issue with Dan Corder. A reminder once again that we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and you can also watch every single week's because we come out once a week every single episode on youtube just search the issue with dan corder and also find us on all the socials and please one more time if you took anything from that conversation and if you enjoyed it or get feedback for me or you want to help grow the show just click a follow or like or subscribe wherever you are whatever platform you're experiencing this through because it really helps us build this show together thank you so much for your time see you next week <laughs>